thirsty. Keep this one short for everyone. Okay, so what did we do last week? Last week we're talking about David versus Goliath. We talked about how Goliath is this big giant Philistine attacking the people of God, blaspheming the people of God. Everybody in the Israelite army, instead of saying, you know what, Goliath is a real big dude, but we're trusting God, we're going to take on Goliath. Instead, they ran in fear, including Jonathan, uh, who at the time was the greatest warrior in Israel, and his dad, Saul, who at the time was the king of Israel, who, by the way, the Israelites fired God so that they could hire Saul as their protector. We said the reason Saul did that was because the spirit had left Saul. Because of Saul's disobedience, the spirit left him, and because of that, he had no power. Doesn't matter how big the leader is, if you don't have the spirit of God in you, you have no power. You will not be able to fight the giant. So, uh, the spirit left Saul and entered into a shepherd boy named David. He was the youngest in his family, and every time something went wrong, they looked at David and blamed him. You say, how could you know that? Here's how I know that. Because when David starts inquiring about Goliath, his brother goes after him, and how does David respond? What did I do now? That word now. Johan, my youngest, does that all the time. What now? He gets blamed every time something goes wrong. And he's innocent most of the time. All right. So this is where we left off, as David starts inquiring about what's going to happen to the person who defeats the giant. David is upset because this giant is defying Israel and what? And God, because in the ancient Near East, there was no separation between church and state. Your relationship to God was directly tied to what nation you came from. So when he, when Goliath is showing up and saying, I am heaping shame upon Israel, blah, 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 he's also heaping shame upon Israel's God. Goliath is claiming that the God that he follows and serves is more powerful than the God that the Israelites followed and served. Goliath also said, you guys are servants of Saul. And Brian explained to us, that's how far the Israelites had fallen. Instead of looking at Saul as the leader that God had put over them, they were now completely servants of Saul. We see that with, with Saul offering the reward. What, what was the reward that Saul offered if you defeated the giant? One, it was riches. And we said, how did he accumulate those riches in the first place? Taxes. By taxing the Israelites. The other was his daughter, who had no say in the matter. And the other one was relief of the taxes. So think about the, the reward that Saul is offering. Basically what Saul is saying, you know all that money I stole from you and your neighbors, I will give you a cut and make you rich too. So you can join me in stealing from your neighbor. And two, what he said was, I'll give you my daughter, who has absolutely no say in the matter. She might not even like you. You might have a mole on your eye, she won't even have a say in it too bad for her. And then the third thing was, hey, I won't steal money from you anymore. I'll steal money from your neighbor, but I won't steal money from you. This is, this is where we're at. This is how far the nation has fallen. So Eliab, David's brother, confronts him and says, You're nasty. The only reason you came here was to see the battle. And David says, Nah, man, I just want to see what's going on. So that's where we left off. David, verse 32, said to Saul the king, Let no man's heart fail because of him. That's Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
Now, last week we also talked about David's humility. David is addressing Saul as if Saul is the king. Notice, he doesn't say, I will go and fight the Philistine. David doesn't say, hey, I'm the anointed guy and you're showing yourself to be a coward, so I'm going to show up in your place in my own power and take out the Philistines so everybody can see that I'm the rightly anointed king of Israel. He doesn't say that. What he says is what? Your servant. There again is the humility of David. He is looking the guy he's going to replace in the eye and saying, I will do your job for you, but he does it in a very, very humble way. This is one of the ways you know, by the way, whether or not you're ready to lead. Can you deal with a little bit of influence and power with some humility? Or as soon as you get some influence and power, you go all over the place. David is still able to address Saul as, I am your servant. Do you know what the Hebrew is for servant, actually? Maddie McGuire knows. Huh? Which means what? Slave. Look at that humility. He says, Saul, I'm your slave. Don't worry. Send me to do your bidding. I'm going to go take out this Philistine. Now, think this through with how we are in our hearts. Now, remember Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this was David's mentality towards Saul. Remember, David had grown up looking up to Saul, hadn't he? David had heard about how awesome Saul was in the previous battles. So his heart towards Saul was, man, he's having an off day or something. He can't fight, but I'm going to go as his slave, as his servant. And look what he says. Don't let anybody's heart fail them. He wants his brothers in arms to be encouraged. Now, how do you, how do you feel about the church when things aren't going well? I'm talking about on a national level. Church is pretty discouraged. You got dudes going into women's bathrooms. And then when you say, hey, it's not a good play for a 40-year-old man to be in a bathroom with an 8-year-old girl, what does the society turn on you and say? You're crazy. You're a bigot. You got, you got kids getting slaughtered by the literal millions. You got racial tension. You got a president who is not a unifying element. Let me put it that way in the conversation. Okay? You have, uh, globally, there's a dude that just jumped into a car in France and literally mowed down 84 people with a truck. This is a discouraging, discouraging time. Jesus said that when times get difficult, people's hearts fail them because of what they're seeing. And Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. They didn't have CNN. You realize in our culture now, we have a 24-hour news feed. So if you want to be discouraged, you can find ways to be discouraged 24 literal hours a day. I remember when 9-11 happened, and I was on Fox News. I'm just going to say, I'm not going to give my opinion on Fox News. It's just not very healthy to ingest multiple hours of Fox News a day. I'm going to let that sit, Kyle. But I used to watch Fox News and they kept playing the, the thing where the plane was crashing into the building. I don't know how many times I saw that during 9-11. I lost my mind. Okay? People's hearts are failing them. So these people are looking at a very discouraging situation. 
And here's one of the ways you can find out who the leader is. Not the one who struts about or not the one who tries to get influence for themselves. It's the one who finds ways to encourage people. Are you an encourager? That's one of the marks of a leader. A leader will look around and say, yeah, I know things look pretty terrible right now. But God's on our side. Don't worry about it. We're going to get this thing done. Man, are you that type of leader in your home? Ladies, are you that type of leader with your children? Are you that type of leader with your sister? Your sister's discouraged, Chloe. You turn around and say, hey, sis, don't worry about it. Let's sit down and pray. We've got Jesus. Are you that type of sister to your sisters, sisters? Serious question. A leader is an encourager. Let no man's heart fail him. Now look how Saul, the technical leader, responds to David, the real leader. Saul said to David, You're not able to fight against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Well, Saul, let's think this through, brother. You're not fighting. Your son is not fighting. Nobody else is fighting. Here's one little kid. I understand he's smelly. He smells like sheep. He does not look out externally like he's a warrior. Is it wise to discourage the one guy who is actually trying to do something? Why would you do that? But here's what's going on with Saul. He is so eaten up with the fact that Goliath is big and strong. And he has lost complete and total faith in God. He has zero faith in God whatsoever. So all he can talk about is what's in front of him. Sometimes when you run into a discouraging person, give them some grace. When you run into a person who's super discouraging all the time, your instinct is to say, you know, you're a real rotten person and I don't want to be around you. What you should be thinking is, this individual has a very, very small view of God right now. Because if they had a big view of God, they wouldn't say those things. But when you have a small view of God, all you can see is what's on Fox News or CNN. There you go, I balanced it out. Don't leave me mad at me. All you can see is what's in front of you because you got a small view of God, man. You, you think terrorism is as big as God. You think the local problems is as big as God. Whatever. When you see a discouraging person, try, try, try not to be so selfish as to say, I don't want to be around them because they bring me down. Maybe when you're around a discouraging person, God is saying, they can bring you down, but what about you bringing them up? What if God has brought you into their atmosphere so that you could give them a bigger picture of God? Now, how does David respond to Saul's discouraging word? You know what, Saul? You're not good for my self-esteem, so I'm leaving. That's what we do. That is not what David says. Look what David says. But David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has de defied the armies of the living God. So now you go, David is just your typical, young, teenage, arrogant guy 
Now he's talking about how awesome he is. He went after a bear. He went after a lion and he took care of him. He delivered him from the hand of the bear and the lion. Good for you, David. You're bragging on yourself. Isn't that what that looks like? Doesn't it look like David is saying, I'm not worried about this Philistines because I've taken on lions and tigers and bears. So I'm qualified to go fight this guy. But listen to what he says in the next verse. I don't know where it is. Verse 37. Then David said, The Lord, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see what David did? David says, I fought the bear and the lion, and I delivered my sheep from the mouth of the bear and the lion. But then he says, Yahweh delivered me from the bear and the lion as I was delivering the sheep from the bear and the lion. You see what he said? What does this show us? This shows us that we know that everything is according to God's power, but we have got to step out in faith and participate. There is a sense in which David went out and fought the bear and the lion. But David knows in the back of his mind, if God left him alone to himself, he would need rescuing. He knew that when he went after that bear and that lion, that he needed saving. And so he characterizes it as Yahweh saved me from the bear and the lion. Now, some of us are misinterpreting the trials that we go through. You know, as God sends you a trial, it sends a little bear into your life, sends a little lion into your life, and you go, ah, it's a bear, it's a lion. God doesn't love me. God's forgotten me. I don't know how many times I get texts, God's forgotten me. He doesn't love me. Or, or, he might be giving you something to look back on when you face your real challenge. <laughs> if David never had to face the bear or the lion, what would he have had to look back on when he's facing the giant? Is it possible? You know, you think about this. David's job was to go out and, and uh, take care of the sheep. His brother's job was to go on and put on army clothes and play soldier. Okay? Is it possible that all those people hightailed it and ran because they had never been, able, been in a situation where they had to trust in Yahweh by themselves with no help? See, David had a history with Yahweh. He had a history with his God where he was in impossible situations and Yahweh came and delivered him. So he had enough of those in his history to be able to look back and say, okay, okay, God's proven himself here, here, and here. I'm going for it with this one. He's going to come through for me. See, this isn't David just being a, a, a young, arrogant kid. This is a guy who knows his God. This is a guy who knows God's track record with him. He said, man, I've been through some trials and God has been faithful to me. So don't misinterpret some of your trials. Some of you are going through some bad stuff. Or some of you will go through bad stuff. You're going to get a bad phone call tomorrow. I'm not wishing that on you. I'm just saying. You're going to go through these things. And you've got to have an accumulated track record with God. What is God trying to say to you in the situation? What is God trying to teach you about himself? What is he trying to teach you about yourself? You know, there's a lot of us, we think we're at a certain level. Then we get hit with a trial and we react in a certain way. And we go, ugh, I didn't know that that was in me. God's like, I knew that that was in you. But it's those trials that reveal those things. Now, when those things get revealed, were you going to beat yourself up? No. You're going to go, okay, God, thank you for grace. Thank you for the grace that you forgave me from that. Now, think about this. You have weaknesses right now. 
that you don't know about, that will be revealed in about four months from now, that God is graciously overlooking. Right now. Because he knows you've got stuff you need to deal with right now, and if he piled everything on you in one moment, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Natty Mac just had a light bulb moment. So God in his grace will put you through trials to reveal to you where you actually are, but also to reveal to you who he actually is. Because we keep talking about how Jesus saved us. And you know, it's the big picture thing he saved you from. But I've got instances in my life where the man, Jesus, literally saved my life. Literally. So I've got all those to look back on. So when I run into a situation or my friends run into a situation, then I'm steady. I'm not happy all the time. I'm not happy right now. But I'm steady. David is steady. Now, does this mean that David had no nervousness or fear whatsoever? No. It's not what it means. What it means is David isn't going to let his fear or his nerves override the history he has with God. Some of you, you shouldn't be proud, but you should be happy if you're constantly going through trials because God is saying, I want to, I want to accumulate a track record of faithfulness because one of these days you're going to have to take the lead and slay some big giant and the people are not going to have the track record with me that you have and you're going to go out and encourage people and lead the charge in slaying whatever the giant is. Don't misinterpret your trials. Listen to what Saul says. Saul said to David, Go, and Yahweh be with you. Okay? So it accomplished what it needed to accomplish. Now Saul has a very uh, touch-and-go relationship with Yahweh, but at least because of David's faith in Yahweh, Saul remembers, oh, that's right, there is a God in Israel that's maybe bigger than Goliath. It's possible. This is what's going on in Saul's mind. But look at verse 38. Saul immediately goes back to natural ways of thinking. <clears throat> Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Now, if you remember earlier, what was Goliath clothed in? Anybody remember? He had a helmet and he had a coat of mail. Okay? Why? This was the standard gear of a warrior at that time. And so Saul can only think of the natural. So he clothes David in the clothing of the enemy, basically. He's talking to Brian about this. He's like, yo, Saul clothed David in the clothing of the enemy. Uh, you got to think about this from a spiritual perspective. How many times are we fighting spiritual battles with the technique of the enemy? You know, you're out there. I was out there, uh, and I was with a guy, and the girl starts yelling at us. And so he starts yelling right back at her. And at the end, I was like, ooh, man. I don't know if that's the right play. We were out there again. This guy threatened to punch Brian in the face. You talk to me, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. He said, did he say your mouth? I'm going to punch you in the mouth? And uh, later I said, because Brian went up to him anyway to talk to him. I said, well, what was that? The guy threatened to punch you. Brian's like, yeah, I know. He said, the Lord told me that if the guy attacked me, I wasn't even going to defend myself. Why? Because we're Christians. We're not going to go and engage the enemy with the tactics of the enemy. 
We're not going to go yell back at them because they yelled at us. We're not going to hit them because they hit us. Think about this in your relationships. Forget about the enemy. We can't even deal with our Christian brothers and sisters this way. They say something sarcastic to you, you guys say something sarcastic to them. They gossip about you, you're going to gossip about them. You feel you're being treated unfairly, you're going to treat them unfairly. We can't even do this with Christians, much less the enemy. God help us. No, David says, man, I am covered in the armor of the enemy. Look at what David says. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, because I have not tested them. You know the gear that David was used to? It was his shepherd gear. That's the gear he was used to. He was not used to Saul's gear. He was used to shepherd gear. He wasn't tested in Saul's gear. How was David tested? He was not wearing a helmet and a coat of mail and all that good stuff when the lions were coming after him. He was wearing his shepherd gear when the lions were coming after him. That's what he was tested in. This is what happens with us. We see somebody like a, a, a Brian or a whatever, these high-powered people in the church. You want to be like them. And you want to get all your validation from being like them. And you want to lead like them or whatever. You want to walk around in their gear. You want to talk like them. You know, Brian, you know, he's, I'm not picking on you, man. I love you. But, I mean, he's got a very extensive vocabulary. We want to talk like Brian. I want to be like Brian. I want to talk, you know... Fortin can go out in the park and start talking to people randomly. Hey, you know, I got a matchbox car. Let me talk to you about Jesus. I don't know how to do that. We all have these different modes and ways that we want to approach people that do not fit us. And where you're tested, and woman, where you're tested, where you're growing up, who you are, that's who God wants. God wants that person. Now look, Jonathan walked around in mail and armor and all that stuff, so if he's going to fight, he's going to wear that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't David's walk. You got your own individual walk with Christ. And guess what? Jesus doesn't tolerate that. He celebrates that. He celebrates that you're not like me or that you're not like Kyle. He celebrates that. You know, I, some of you, I'd be happy if you'd accept yourself, but that's not good enough. You should celebrate who God made you to be. And this is not, you know, psychological mumbo-jumbo. David said in Psalm 139, I praise you because what? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, David's looking in the mirror and saying, God, you did a very good job with me. Thank you. And you want to call that pride? I don't know what to tell you. It was a moment of worship for David. Psalm 139 is a very important psalm. We quote it all the time at the abortion mill. Say, don't kill that child. It's fearfully and wonderfully made in the hands of God. Well, that's you too. So God made David this specific way. Before David was born, God said, all right, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make him the youngest. I'm going to get him blamed for everything. I'm going to put him out with the sheep. He's going to hang out with the sheep for a couple of years. Lions and bears are going to come after him. And all of this was preparation for this one moment. I wonder how many of you think about that. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that his entire life was a preparation for one event. He's standing before Pilate. What does he say? For this reason I have come into the world. You know, Jesus' dad was a what? A carpenter. 
Well, Jesus' dad was God. That's right, my theologian son. His human father was a carpenter, which was very rugged work at the time in the ancient Near East. You know what the scripture says in Hebrews? A body you have prepared for me. Even the job that he had was given to him so that he could endure the cross. God gave Jesus a rugged body so that he could carry that tree and be crucified for your sins. Every detail of Jesus' life was planned. Where he was born, who his parents were, what the job was, where he went around preaching, who he healed, who he did not heal, what he said, what he did not say. Jesus had a completely clear self-understanding, sense of destiny and purpose. And he knew that his entire life was going to one point. So you have moments in time that are reserved for you in the sovereignty of God where it's time for you to show up. This is not just for big special people. At the time, David was nothing. This is everybody now. We're Christians. And you've got a moment when it's going to be time for you to show out. So when you're going through your trials, look, I'm not minimizing them. But stop complaining and being so self-focused and say, all right, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's in me? What are you telling me about yourself? What are you preparing me for? Who needs to be encouraged? What does 2 Corinthians 1 say? That God comfort us in all of our trials so that we may what? Comfort those who are in the same affliction. You see, the thing is bigger than me and you. It's bigger than me and you. So David says, man, I have not tested them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So David trades the sword for the sling and he trades the mail for the shepherd's pouch and the guy walks in there, no helmet, no nothing. You say, it's a real foolish thing to do. David was absolutely and totally safe because David knew he was in the will of God. Now I can keep going. I'm going to stop right there. We're shocked. <laughs> Let's think about this. Really, really, really dwell on this. Why are you in the trial that you're in? Here's the last thing I'll say. I said I was going to stop my life. Who really delivered us from the hand of the bear and the lion? It was Jesus. But here's the thing. When Jesus went to deliver us from the hand of the bear and the lion, nobody delivered him. Your sin and your death penalty was the bear and the lion. And Jesus says, I'm going to snatch you out of the mouth of that bear and that lion. But when he did so, he got torn to shreds and nobody came and rescued him. Not even the father. My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus. He's greater than David. He's greater than David. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for giving us your strength. Forgive us of our sins, God. Forgive us of the sins that we don't even know about right now. God, help us to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.